guys have been coming here for years. You still got your hands all over your girlfriend. Some of you guys have been coming here for years. You're still not praying with your wife. Some of you guys have been coming here for years. You're still single and having sex. Some of you guys will even even as I'm preaching the sermon, some of you will be sitting next to your girlfriend or your fiance or your wife. Some of you guys have already given her that look. Don't cry. Don't let them know they're talking about me. Just hold it together. You've already intimidated her right ear. Some of you guys have already whispered in her ear. I don't want to hear it. We're not talking about this in the car on the way home. Some of you have already whispered in her ear, I'm sorry, I'll do better, trust me. Let's just move on real quickly. How dare you? Who in the hell do you think you are? Abusing a woman, neglecting a woman, being a coward, a fool, being like your father, Adam. Who do you think you are? You are not God. You are just a man. You're not an impressive man. You're not a responsible man. You're not a noble man. You're not a respectable man. You're not a responsible man in any regard. I don't care how successful you are in this area. If you are a failure, it clouds all of your dignity. It robs all of your masculinity. There is no excuse for any man who claims the name of Christ to treat a woman in a dishonorable, disrespectful way. Some of you right now, you guys will get all angry. Oh, how dare you yell at me? That's the Holy Spirit telling you, it's you. I didn't name you, he did. You change now, little boy. You change right now. You shut up, you put your pants on, you get a job, you grow up, and maybe one day you can love a woman. It's for men, not for boys. And those of you men who are here and your wives are suffering under your folly and failure, shame on you. And shame on you if you say you're a Christian. And shame on you if you've been attending Mars Hill. And shame on you if you've been surrounded by good men and have pursued none of them. And shame on you if you've not become a member and submitted to spiritual authority. And shame on you if you've not joined a community group so you can walk in darkness. And shame on you if you show up to put communion in your hands representing the body and blood of your murdered Savior. And then go put them on your girlfriend or download porn from the internet or raise your hand in a threat to your wife. Shame on you. You guys are a joke. 
and there's a handful of good men that are tired of picking up your mess. So you step up, you shut up, you man up, and you use all of that anger you have toward me right now to repent. You do business with God. I'm going to let you sit in this for a while. You don't go get your kids. You don't get up and leave. We're going to do something we've never done. We're going to pass the plate. You can give your tithes and offerings. Early on in the church, 1995 or 6, we didn't. I didn't want anyone to think bad of me. I have not led well in this area. We have people who come to this church every week. They don't worship. They take. They don't participate. We'll pass the plate. If you're disconnected, please fill out the visitor card. Thousands of people fall through the cracks. Don't lose this opportunity to get connected so we can help. When you're ready, you take communion. But you men, you hear me this. You apologize to your wife before you take communion. Corinthians says if you don't, you'll drink judgment on yourself. God might even kill you right here to make an example of you. If you're here with your girlfriend, you apologize. If you're a little boy, you break up with her in love and you tell her that you're not ready and that she deserves better because God's daughters need to be loved like Christ loved the church. When you're ready, when you've sat in it for a while, you take communion, you give of your tithes and offerings, and then you sing in repentance to Jesus. I do love you. I am furious with some men. And I believe that fury is God's. You are not cute, and he is not pleased. And time is short. Wow. Well, uh, if you've made it this far with me, uh, you may not be sure right at this moment if you're halfway to being saved or <laughs> halfway to H-E double hockey sticks, uh, depending on how your, you know, <laughs> reflections went while listening to Pastor Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill Church, uh, formerly of the Mars Hill Church, uh, which we introduced last night in part one of this two-part to begin uh, series on religion and spirituality, um, particularly through some ruminations and um, conversations with former members of that church. Uh, to clarify, by the way, I never was involved with Mars Hill uh, during its time of its existence, um, from the you know middle to late '90s into the early 2000s. I I, uh, I believe the church, well, it, it wrapped up in around 2014. So through through most of uh, yeah, just up until a few years ago, really. Um, and um, quite a dynamic sermon right there. Um, just the beginning of one, uh, although actually that he was getting ready to pass the plate and 
and introduce communion. So traditionally, in my experience, that's towards the end of most services. Um, and uh, I, I listened to that sermon about three or four times in the course of preparing and uh, getting ready to record this for the for this episode. Um, and, you know, found it more and more affecting <laughs> uh, each time I listened to it. You know, I'm a family man. I'm a married man and, and not a not a perfect guy by uh, any stretch of the imagination. Um, it it uh, was a very stark contrast to hear a um, pastor, you know, and this is not a style that I'm utterly unfamiliar with having grown up listening to, you know, whether it was Pat Robertson or um, Jim Baker, you know, all the 700 club type uh, pastors in the 80s televangelists. Uh, who were so big and some of whom, you know, had interesting lives and some scandals and things uh, of their own associated with their churches. And there's definitely shades of those older, uh, you know, televangelist megachurches in the Mars Hill dynamic and organizational structure, you know, uh, for sure. So... But I chose this, that little five minute, you know, section of a sermon because I feel like it, I've listened to a few other sermons from Pastor Driscoll in, in the course of researching and preparing for this episode. And, and so, you know, to be fair to the ministry, to the man, to the whole thing. And, you know, I, I don't have any permission to have used that clip. So who knows? I'll probably get this. Uh, get some church Gestapo on me for all I know for using it. I don't know, but it's out there, you know, and I'm going to include the link to that, um, where I found that on YouTube, of course, but I liked the sermon. I feel like it actually had strong appeal in a lot of ways, although at the very same time, and especially when you watch, uh, the video, of the sermon and not just hear the audio and you can see the animation in Pastor Driscoll's body and face and you know literally the vein popping on the side of his temple as he's as he's castigating the uh, you know the the men who he was calling out in that sermon uh, yeah that that you know fire is something that I grew up never really seeing in sermons in the Episcopal Church. Everything's very somber and there's very little uh, focus on um, the sin side of things. Uh, kind of, uh, it, they get there, they cover it, but it's always in measured tones and terms and you're encouraged to, you know, reflect and philosophize about it. And there we saw, you know, Pastor Driscoll, you know, quite a bit more confrontational, I would say, Um and plain spoken, obviously, uh, all things that are, you know, highly appealing um, themselves to people who, you know, are probably in, you know, for generations now have been tired of feeling like they've been, um, you know, uh, condescended to or patronized, you know, uh, talked down to uh, by, you know, their uh, spiritual leaders, perhaps. Um, and so this you know, every man kind of approach, um, has a strong appeal, but I guess where I was going with the, 
with the weird vibe that you also get at that is, you know, I didn't grow up hearing pastors stand at the, the you know, front of the um, altar and, um, you know, in front of the congregation and, and literally rip into us. <laughs> so, but, so it's, it's a little scary and a little bit, you know, uh, makes you uneasy, but it also jars you to, you know, think about perhaps why you're being yelled at in this way um, by this person. Uh, you know, there's a lot there. Um, it not lost on me is that, you know, the pastor goes from that very, you know, um, rigorous dressing down of everybody, thorough uh, dressing down of, you know, most men can find something to, uh, you know, acknowledge within themselves that resembles something of what he was discussing there at some point, you know, by all means, and, and some of us more than at some point, you know. Um, and so that's, you know, he goes right from that, no reprieve, no kiss, and lets you know they're getting ready to pass the plate, and lets you know that you are barely deserving of accepting communion if you dare go up and, and take it. Uh, so you better think twice about that if you're not going to pause to make some sort of gesture to yourself and to your loved ones, uh, you know, that uh, indicates to them that the message was received. Uh, he also, um, you know, calls out several types of activities that would be expected of a real man um, and member of the church community, uh, joining the community groups, walking in darkness in the, in the, you know, in the streets of the people who are not saved around you and, you know, helping, reaching, outreaching to them. Uh, 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 joining the church formally and submitting to the will of the, you know, Christ uh, and the church, etc. Um, you know, that is an allusion to the uh, somewhat controversial and very interesting Mars Hill Covenant, um, a copy of which uh, in its full form I will uh, include in the show notes for us to, for you to read and check out uh, later. Um I do include the covenant because it is interesting and and stark to read as an adult and for any of us who aren't part of, um, you know, organized religion. Um, it might be something entirely uh, alien to you to see this this contract that you as a adult would sign as part of the Mars Hill Church. I would like to point out, though, that as we discussed in our conversation with Douglas and Adam and myself together – Covenants are in every religion, in every denomination of every church. So to see it here in an evangelical, non-denominational setting may be a little bit um, surprising to some of us. But anyone who is part of, um, you know, or was brought up in organized religion, that word is not unusual. It's not new. When you have your bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah in the in uh, the Jewish tradition, when you have your confirmation in the traditional Catholic and Episcopal and etc. Uh, denominations of Christianity, um, at, at each of those uh, points, uh, a covenant is made, a verbal one at the minimum, and in some cases with some, uh, you know, ceremony and paperwork um, that, you know, the young, soon-to-be adult and, and beginning-to-be adult uh, member of the church community is acknowledging their responsibility to the community, acknowledging their responsibility to submit to the will of the Lord and, the, and to keep the teachings of the church, etc., 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 and 
um, you know, you you speak these things as part of the service and ceremony that you take part in in any of those traditions that I was uh, talking about in in, in church. There's a lot of uh, you know, calling out by the pastor and responding by the congregation or responding by individuals. Um, and, uh, you know, some of that is rote. Some of that is, you know, part of the, um, you know, tradition that is, you know, very much it happens over and over again. It's, it's, it's you know, call it what you will, call it indoctrination, call it programming, call it, you know, good old-fashioned learning of ethics and morals. <laughs> um, so... But yeah, so, you know, five minutes and 50 seconds there of, you know, one tiny facet of one day in the life of a uh, uh, congregation tending um, Mark Driscoll ministry. And I'm not even positive that's, you know, a Mars Hill. That could be newer stuff from him. Um, I think it is, though, from the Mars Hill era. It's a little, I believe it's a little older, the date stamp on that when I was looking at it. Uh, so, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was important to let you hear the man's voice, let you, um, you know, sort of decide for yourself what you felt about hearing, the, you know, those words. And, uh, yeah, an interesting message for sure. So um, I'd also like to not just rely on my own commentary here about this entirely. Uh, I want to share with you a story that I found, uh, again, in my research here. And this is, um, you know, I, I found a few mainstream articles, including one from The Atlantic, um, couple from the Seattle Times, and they were well done. Um, ultimately, I thought I would share with you one from a, uh, it looks like a blog called ChristianityToday.com, and uh, these folks have a article that was published in 2014, right about the time of the real demise of the church, um, called the Painful Lessons of Mars Hill. What can we learn from the collapse of Mark Driscoll's church? This is written by a gentleman, I, I believe a pastor, named Ben Turton. Storm clouds seem to be whirling around me more than ever in recent months, said Pastor Mark Driscoll to his Mars Hill congregation last August. And I've given much thought and sought much counsel as to why that is and what to do about it. In the same announcement, he said, I've requested a break for processing, healing, and growth for a minimum of six weeks while the leadership assigned by our bylaws conduct a thorough examination of accusations against me. Those storm clouds raged harder. Gale force condemnation whipped up tumultuous seas of public criticism until, as those six weeks closed, a Seattle Times headline read, quote, Mars Hill Church reeling as Pastor Mark Driscoll quits. 
Reporter Janet Tu attributed his departure to an avalanche of allegations, ranging from charges of bullying to abusive behavior to plagiarism and overseeing the mismanagement of church funds. Two weeks after Driscoll's resignation, Mars Hill's Dave Briscus announced in an October 31st post on the church website that as of January 1st, 2015, the existing Mars Hill Church organization will be dissolved. After the church lays its central structure to rest, its 15 local bodies will float alone, if possible. Thousands of Christian worshipers gathering weekly across four states, their church boasting annual revenues of more than $30 million, dissolving. Done. difficult to see much more than the still soggy ruins and drowned hopes of the once booming megachurch. How did this happen so fast? Asks Rene Schlopfer, pastor of Twin Lakes Church, a megachurch in Aptos, California. Watching disgrace devour other celebrity pulpits is always grim, he says, but this story hits home even harder. Driscoll went to Western Seminary, where I went. And as I try to lead a large, theologically conservative, evangelical church in a super-liberal, super-progressive place, namely Santa Cruz, California, Driscoll was doing something similar in Seattle. He was obviously someone I looked to for guidance. I'm completely blown away, says Schlopfer, does not seem real. It's like a nightmare to have it all just go away, to have to shut it all down. It does not seem redemptive. This is definitely a sentiment I think expressed well there, but um, echoed by just about everybody who I've been reading about and I feel like in, in my conversations with the guys. He continues, Bill Clem, campus pastor, an elder at Mars Hill's West Seattle location, then later at the Ballard location from 2006 through 2012, says, I knew something would eventually happen, but none of us would have ever predicted this. However nightmarish ruins like these may be, a traveler in Proverbs 24 suggests that the wise person will pay attention. He stumbles upon another's ruin and says, I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Clem pastored alongside Driscoll for more than half a decade, and he refuses to single out Driscoll, church structure, staff culture, or any problem as the one that necessitated wrapping the car around the pole, as he puts it. 
perhaps no singular, simple answer will ever emerge. Nevertheless, Clem says, the structure of Mars Hill, which over time consolidated power and financial decisions in the central organization, did play a role. As the structure became more refined, the driving motive became efficiency and growth, and those two factors began dictating church policy. Tim Gatos, pastor and elder at Mars Hill's downtown Seattle campus from 2006 through 2013, sees principles from Galatians 2 playing out here. This all began as a work of the Spirit, he comments but we quickly started to push harder and harder, trying to accomplish it with human efforts. Bigger, better, faster, stronger. One of the things that drew my wife and me in early was being involved in a particular neighborhood context, operating with a strong theology of time and place, Gatos says. But that started to shift significantly, to focus more on expansion to wherever we could find podcasters to set up a new site. Welcome to the whole Seattle mindset, Clem says. Some say, let's deliver packages. But Seattle says, no, let's make it Amazon. Some say, let's have coffee. But Seattle says, no, let's make it Starbucks. Let's have a grocery store. No! Let's make it Costco. Microsoft. Google. Boeing. Seattle is about power, expansion, and world domination. The principle held true when that corporate drive took hold of Mars Hill. Clem had planted a small church called Doxa in West Seattle. And shortly after receiving a large building as a gift, they merged with Mars Hill, becoming its first expansion campus. At the time when they got me in my building, the concept of multi-site church structure was fairly infantile in its movement and structure, Clem says we chose to start out heavily centralized. For example, by the time we had three campuses, we still only had one youth pastor. His team did youth ministry in a box at Shoreline on Tuesday, West Seattle on Wednesday, and Ballard on Thursday. We did the same kind of thing with the different pieces from counseling to children's ministry, to whatever. Centralization consolidated power and finances efficiently, and as Driscoll's celebrity brand infiltrated the internet, plainly put, the church expanded enormously. Gato says, Mark made it no secret that he wanted to become the biggest church in America. Push further, grow faster, Give more cash to fund the front.
confusion hovered around what the front actually was. Some pastors regarding it generally as whatever place evangelism or mission was happening, with others seeing it narrowly as attendance and property expansion. Still, either of the two beckoned for funding and the focus of attention. In a city that, according to the Seattle Department of Planning and Development, anyway, boasts a median family income well above $90,000 per year, the financial ceiling for a city center megachurch is high. And in today's megachurch culture, what besides finances would restrain the ecclesial throttle? New buildings, more pastors, better technology. Churches chase hard, but finances hold back. So, Clem says, they cut inefficiency wherever it lurked such as caring for some of the resource-draining people or providing benevolence to the city because such endeavors lack a high return on investment, or ROI. We started going for high-profile, high-ROI stuff that brings in more money, says Clem. To do so, you've got to make the news, be known at the popular level, and have wide influence. The influence came, and attendance kept climbing. The growth was uncontrollable, Clem says. On one Sunday in January, we launched four campuses. The problem is that this is only possible if you scale the campus pastor position way back. If being a lead pastor requires a skill set or maturity, then your pool to draw from gets smaller, and you cannot multiply fast enough. The only way to create scalable multiplication is to somehow dumb down that position so that a dog with a note in its mouth can do it. Secure a space. Hang an HD video screen. Project the celebrity pastor through DVDs. Stir in a heap of cutting-edge promotion with just a pinch of local leadership. You end up with a well-branded easily marketable, and quickly reproducible church in a box. And the front expands. Casualties and collateral damage, though, start piling up. Got to a point where I'd get a weekly printout that would tell me I had one minute and 40 seconds to make an announcement, says Clem. I'd get a memo telling me to quit standing up in front and praying with people after the service because those hurting people are already regular attendees. The visitors are out in the lobby, so you need to be out in the lobby to get Velcro on the visitor to get them to stick so they come back. As the campus pastor, I'm being managed on where I stand, who I talk to, And I'm going, are you kidding me? When I was 25 years old, I had more freedom to figure out how to do ministry than this. Mars Hill obviously did not start this way. So what happened? A significant turning point came when we brought Sutton Turner on, 
Clem says, referring to the April 2011 hire of Turner as the church's general manager. eventually stepping into oversight of central operations. Not that Turner was malicious or corrupt, says Clem, but his business savvy began to dominate the church's strategy and organizational structure. He had an MBA from Harvard, and had just worked for the Prince of Qatar's royal family on a major real estate development where he oversaw 1,500 people. We're thinking, okay, we don't know what we're doing. Sutton knows what to do. Gatos avoids naming the addition of Turner a, quote, turning point because the leadership trajectory had been established beforehand. But through the fresh emphasis on business-inspired growth models, Turner certainly accelerated our progression along that line. When the reports of this article reached out to Turner for a response, he commented on little besides the facts of his time at Mars Hill, the when and what of his hire and his move into increased responsibility at Central. He did not respond when asked if he viewed his hire as a turning point for the church, though he clarified his September resignation and expressed continued love for the church, saying that it was a difficult decision. However, the media criticism had become too intense for me and my family, and it was clear that the church in the near future would not be able to continue to afford me. My time at Mars Hill has been one of the most challenging and spiritually growing times of my life. centralized structure of Mars Hill grew in size and power. The front expanded, pushing well outside of Seattle to other parts of Washington, Oregon, California, and New Mexico. As it grew, the key question became how to fund it all. How do we get more money coming into Central? Became the main question, says Clem. He describes the basic Mars Hill budget strategy like this. A campus pastor sets his own budget for the year. He bases the number on a per-head estimate for weekly giving. The goal is to keep increasing the per-head income. So, looking at my per-head of $31, they wanted me to say, this year, I think I can get it up to 35 and then set my budget accordingly, says Clem. Then if I didn't make that by the first quarter, Central would adjust. But look, if I make a budget based on just $4 more per person, with a congregation of more than 3,000 people, I'm talking about $12,000 a week. That's $624,000 annually. That number equals staff. So if I don't make it to the next level, I have to fire those people. And this is where some of the staffing volatility came from. For campus pastors on startup church sites, everything hovered around congregation benchmarks. For 500 attendees, you got an executive pastor. 
800, you could add a worship pastor. If you boosted it up to 3,000 loyal listeners, the award was a youth pastor. (laughs) The pressure to grow rapidly increased. Expansion brought more financial responsibility. So Central comes after the per-head money at the older campuses, and they say, you got to keep only $10 per head at your campus. You get to keep only $10 per head at your campus, no matter how much people give, Clem says. Here's an example of what happens then. When Driscoll quit preaching at my Ballard campus and went to Bellevue, I immediately lost 1,000 people. At $10 per head... That's $10,000 per Sunday that went out the door. And yet my people who stayed continued to give to the same budget. They actually started to give more. But because my attendance dropped, Central says my budget needs to drop. And that means I have to fire a youth pastor. People don't want to lose the youth pastor. They start asking, How much will it take to keep Mitch? I'm saying, no matter how much more you give, we can't use a penny. It just goes to central. And they start going, this is communism. (laughs) And yeah, it sounds a little bit like it. Uh, So why would a pastor or congregant keep playing this game? For us, Expanding the front meant mission and evangelism. Clem says, We did everything to see people come to know Christ. There were two or three years in a row we were seeing over 1,000 people baptized per year. And we started feeling like we could put up with a lot of crap, a lot of egotism, a lot of management by objective leadership in the church in order to see people come to know Christ. This became our legitimizing story. We got all caught up in the buzz. If you were to ask the other pastors now, I think that's what they would say to you too. How can King Jesus' leadership characteristics ever make center stage if churches reserve that space for a growing church's bolder, sexier, more exciting qualities? For the person or community bent on going big or making a huge impact, the desire for popularity might be unavoidable. Simple, faithful, Jesus qualities and Christian fruits of the Spirit simply do not make headlines. Yet even if such virtues don't feed the rapid church expansion, at least a real church with real roots will stand, whether it be a bonsai or a mighty oak. the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, Beware of false prophets. By their fruit you will know them. We quote our teacher, so why don't we apply his words? So often Christians approach that as if it says, By their gifts you shall know them. Or, By their results or charisma you shall know them. Schlopfer says, In context, Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. By their Spirit, their love, their joy, their peace, their gentleness, 
That is how you will know them. New Testament professor and scholar Scott McKnight says, Leaders matter, period. Leaders matter because they become embodied in the culture they lead. The bigger the culture, the more significant the leader. I've been in a mega church in Pennsylvania, says McKnight, where the pastor was a gentle, loving, caring, godly leader. It was a big church that was healthy as it could be because that pastor knew what he was doing in creating a culture of grace. And I've been in other churches, of course, where it was a controlling pastor with a controlling church culture. I do not think that is at all taking a cheap shot to say that this is what happened with Mark Driscoll. I think he had elements of toxicity in his character that were amplified as the system grew bigger. This is going to be a great lesson for church leadership during the next 20 to 30 years. The celebrity collapse. Part of the problem is the freewheeling attitude that many young evangelical church planters take on. They see the booming success of men like Driscoll and want to emulate. You get a freewheeling evangelist who plants a church, and all of a sudden, you've got a person who's responsible for everything that's happened, says McKnight. Western Seminary's Dr. Jerry Brashears, past friend and co-author with Driscoll, says many churches today have a problem with giving lip service to co-laborers while depending on a single superstar. And if it's all about that superstar, he says, then what if things go wrong with him or her? You might not have a church anymore. Let's face it, agrees McKnight. In some of these megachurches, the celebrity factor is so powerful that without them, without self-control, excuse me, We'll start that again. Let's face it, agrees McKnight. In some of these megachurches, the celebrity factor is so powerful that without them, the place collapses. Paul describes bad leaders in the church as lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, abusive, unforgiving, without self-control, brutal, rash, conceited, says Schlopfer. I think a lot of times people who are interested in achieving results, thinking big, are willing to compromise on those character qualities. A compromising church culture dominated by a celebrity leader leads to corrosive chemistry. Every church has its own culture, continues Brashears, and every church culture can go toxic. The elders at Mars Hill knew the problems they were facing with their celebrity pastor, but it got out of control, McKnight says. Speaking into that situation did not lead to the kinds of virtues and characters they wanted, and so it crumbled. 
If I hear one more person at a church conference tell me that they finished Walter Isaacson's biography on Steve Jobs and picked up lots of great ideas on how to lead their church, I'm going to scream, says Schlopfer. The whole corporate model for managing a church has infiltrated and affected the church more than anybody realizes. The Mars Hill Empire has collapsed under the weight of business principles gone wrong and the lie of celebrity ministry. But the key rot in the Mars Hill roots wasn't just the structure, it was the source of dependence. When it is dependent upon one charismatic leader, says McKnight, it is not dependent on Jesus. What if Mars Hill's elder board had been able to keep things properly Christ-centered? What if, from the outset, the church's DNA actively demanded Christian maturity and biblical wisdom over celebrity, expansion, and influence? We can only speculate and seek to learn from the rubble of the Mars Hill Collapse. Four key principles emerge. 1. A pastor's character shapes the church. Pastors and leaders need to stop obsessing over methodology and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, Schlopfer says. You need to realize the fact that you are going to reproduce your soul in your church, whether you intend it to or not. And if you are sarcastic and defensive and arrogant, that's going to be reproduced in your people. Your soul, the fruit of the Spirit that's in your life, your strength and weaknesses as a leader, are going to be reproduced in that church. 2. Submitted does not mean quiet. I'm wrestling now with what loyalty means, says Clem. Looking back on his days as a Mars Hill pastor, I feel like I kept quiet as a pastor and elder at Mars Hill in a commitment to unity. I put up with stuff I probably should not have put up with because I was submitting to authority. But you know, Paul ironically writes, submit to authorities, while he was in prison. For him, submission looked like, I'm going to do what I need to do under God, and you do what you need to do. You have the right to it. Whereas non-submission is, I get to do whatever I want. You don't have any right to punish me for it. Three. Beware of false success. Statements like, good leaders have followers, or living things grow, become mantras at churches like Mars Hill, says Gatos. This logic extrapolates quickly to, great leaders have tons of followers, and... The faster things grow, the more alive they are. Soon, small attendance numbers and slow growth become problems to conquer. Beware of the theology of victory, which I think is very prominent in America, Gatos says. This victory theology is get upstream, let's change culture. Let's change the world. Let's start a movement kind of thinking. 
We become more concerned with doing something great and less concerned with simply living as a faithful presence and witness in our neighborhoods and cities. If you find yourself worrying about leaving a legacy, or what does the city think about what we're doing, or what will you leave behind, soon it will be all about your movement and not about your relationship with Jesus at all, simply receiving his love and presence. You need to first know what it means to be a godly church, and then figure out how that affects the city, says Clem. Do not say, our number one goal is to impact the city, and hopefully we won't compromise being the church while doing that. 4. Emulate Christ's Servant Leadership McKnight comments, Jesus offers what I think is the most significant statement about leadership in the entire Bible, and that will lead us towards a gospel culture. He uses language that we are all afraid of. He says that you are not to be called rabbi. You are not to call anyone father. You are not to be called instructors, because you have one teacher, Jesus. And you have one father, God the Father. And you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest will be your servant. So, a gospel culture is created when the pastor is the most submissive to Jesus in the culture itself. When he models discipleship the most, he'll never suffer from creating a toxic culture. For this reason, every young pastor needs to have a mentor relationship with a pastor who's been pastoring for at least 25 years in a church that is not a mega church. They will learn what true pastoring is really like, not celebrity pastoring. At the time of this writing, as of New Year's Day, Mars Hill will be gone. Dissolved as an organization, the constituent churches that made up Driscoll's flock will scatter as best they're able. Finding new names, new voices, new ways of being and worshiping, or trickling away like the Seattle rain into the Puget Sound. Postscript here says, uh, Ben Turton is a writer and pastor in Portland, Oregon. Thank you, Pastor Turton, for that in-depth sort of analysis on this story. There is so much more there to look into with Mars Hill. You can look at all the gory details in terms of... There's a few blogs out there that have some, if not many, of the controversial emails, letters internal communications from the church, some of which were you know, leaked by different members of the church in the wake of the uh, Mars Hill wind down. And, um, you know, those are really interesting to look at and very sad to read uh, in a lot of ways uh, and not something that we need to do here. Um, but uh, I will include, as I like to do, um, some links to some of those resources where you can continue 
exploring this topic. Um, there's a lot of Driscoll sermons on YouTube. Uh, I found a podcast that appears to be modern ministry from Pastor Driscoll. Listen to a few of those in the in the course of this production of this episode. Uh, so, you know, knowing that I'm going to hit pause on my commentary here, and then again allow you guys to listen to the unedited um, discussion and conversation between myself, Adam, and Douglas. This is part two. That'll be coming up after I wrap here with you. Um, and uh, I think I got the sound a little better on part two, and I think we covered a little bit more ground together with the guys in part two. And uh, that's a good another, you know, 55 minutes of audio. So <laughs> if you need to take a break, uh, maybe get stoned, I highly suggest it, uh, before settling back in and uh, listening to Adam and Douglas and I uh, chat a bit more about you know, their remembrances and um, thoughts about their time with Mars Hill. Uh, and I do think that, yeah, uh, I'm going to, you know, I had indicated I was going to do some um, cannabis-related content this episode, and I think we're just going to, um, you know, save it for a little bonus episode that I'll kick out right around New Year's Eve or New Year's Day for you. Um, and, you know, we'll do... Uh, a bunch of fun stuff in that episode where we'll talk about uh, a bit more info I found on Washington Home Grow, um, some interesting stories about crypto that you know I'm continuing to track and developments there, just interesting stuff for me um, that I think some of you guys might enjoy as well, um, and a story about a chess computer who taught itself the game in four hours, then went on to challenge and obliterate the reigning chess AI world champion and uh, while doing so demonstrating numerous techniques and um, strategies that have never been seen before in the history of the game uh, so as always uh, no matter what we spend time on here the rest of the world swirls around us at an incredible pace and there's a lot to keep up on um, we'll do our best to share some of the coolest stuff we find with you as we go um but yeah we'll we'll save it for the next night the next episode for you in just a few more days um i'm gonna wrap up here now let you guys settle in for the second half if you're ready for it <laughs> of the mars hill chats so as always thank you love you guys appreciate you look forward to hearing from you on what you thought about this episode and you know what i need you to do smoke that indica and do shit anyway mouthful man you read that again? Yeah, dude. This is it's right on the the wiki page. But controversy often surrounded his complementary because complementary complementarian view there of gender go. roles. Yeah. So that a man leads and the woman is complementary complementary to him, to him yeah. and and meets his needs in whatever way she can and helps to further his his life path. Um, 
you know, and that took that took a lo- on a lot of different things. It wasn't it wasn't just any one thing. It was like a whole kind of concept of how how you should be in a relationship. Um, yeah, Calvinist theory. That's you, you know there, that can be looked up um, as far as the you know the nature of it. Like you're saying counts in Nicaea stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, perce- Predetermination. Yeah. Um, that you're 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 a broken person. And you require the forgiveness of, of God to to attain whatever the next level might be. Yeah. Uh, whatever, however you want to perceive that. That but part is what's described to be the Calvinist aspect. I would, which is the uh, the kind of the hellfire and damnation to a degree uh, stripe of Christianity. To a degree. Right? I mean, yeah, it had its it had its shades. original sin. Yes. That, okay. That, that, right. That you are yeah. you are born you're born flawed, and you need only the forgiveness of 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 the, the Lord can cleanse you and make you whole again. Um, so that's, yeah, and for sure, that was always right up in front. I have two good friends who I don't know if either of you knew them because the church was pretty big there. Um, yeah, which time it surged. There, So there's a... There's, there's a couple who I want to ask you guys about. I did hit record again, but like, if, even if I if I mention their names now without having gone back and circled back around and even said, you know, I you know asked him about it, I actually think he does listen a little bit to the podcast, my buddy Nathan. But um, wow, uh, this guy uh, was a developer who I worked with. Um, when I was in software, uh, he was part of Mars Hill, I believe. And, uh, you know, just a member of the congregation, as far as I know, nothing, you know, not anything special. Um, but they also are not, you know, I think in the post-Mars Hill era, I don't even think they're going to church these days. Mm-hmm. You know, they say, there we go, we get some, yeah, how are you doing? You got prescription everything still going on, of course? No, man, oh, I am straight edge except for this. Oh, God, Jesus. <laughs> I have uh, been pretty good at, uh, good job. Actually, they're, they're really rough. The, especially the ones that they're make you moody. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. They didn't agree with me. That's what I mean. They're, they're hard <laughs> on the tummy, yeah. and they make you moody as hell and crazy. So yeah. They're really, they're really tough to do. I've always tried to avoid them as much as possible. Um, you know, I was 15 when I broke my leg the first time, and 17 when I broke my leg the second time, and, um, you know, I had operations, I had all sorts of shit going on with both legs, as, you know, I mean, you, you know. Yeah, it's my first time around this hard, um, in it of itself, healing... It's not just physical. Can you get any over-counter shit? Uh, yeah, some Tylenol, extra strength, yeah. But, like, I really only ever do that if I can't sleep. Like, if the knee's bugging me, lately I've been breaking loose a lot of scar tissue, so if the knee's bugging me, I thought about it, but I was too lazy to get out of bed for the pills. (laughs) It was like, nah, just sleep it off. It's better. It's better. That's the way to actually get through it. So... Um, 
We'll see. I just know it's like, ba- basically it means I've got a lot more pain to look forward to. <laughs> The long game. <coughs> you um, you get your range of motion back. That's you know, I hard mean, one. You're doing you're doing fine. You're you're uh, you're teaching your body much more than I was by taking the Percocets. Mm. Okay, you know what I mean. So you're no, dealing with a receptor. You know, you're part dealing of the experience. Yeah. You know, like you yeah. don't. I think that's the sad thing about, well, I could go on a tangent. You know, it's just, uh, whether you're talking about, like, the the snake oil that we were sold by these charlatans, you know, answers to common problems or actual pain. We're talking about medication and whatnot. But people want to feel good and have a reason for being. I miss a lot of that community, man. It is, like, it has, like Adam had uh, said earlier, it's like getting into an old wound. This is, well, so, we're talking about this not to dig at stuff for no reason, to know, to know. Just checking to see that it healed over, right? Well, and I'm, so, so, so the, you know, so you guys are here telling me, you know, a lot of wonderful things, and you're telling me a, a lot about you know, why you want to talk about it without even having gone so far as to say, well, I'm here to talk about it for this reason. Yeah, I don't have an agenda. You know, right? (laughs) Um, We're not doing it that way. But what I was going to say is, um, like, I'm talking about this with you guys because I find these stories and, like, this topic in particular, I love the, the topic of... Uh, people exploring like traditional faith in the modern world. Like, this is the 21st century. We all walk around with supercomputers in our pockets and pretend to know that Neil deGrasse Tyson has told us that we've seen the edges of the universe and that we know everything now. More or less. Or, or, Or that we know almost nothing, but we know everything we need to know, and so we're totally good, you guys. You know, and that definitely it's not certain things. Um, so, what I'm saying is, is that like we're not here to just just talk about the history of Mars Hill and the drama that surrounded the eventual disillusion of what had been seemingly the next biggest, you know, thing coming out of the Pacific Northwest and maybe even a version of a new a new face of, you know, Christianity for the 21st century. Sure. You know. Um, they were in Australia okay, by the time right? I was... Okay, like, this is, this is what... These are, my, these are my associations that I have with Mars Hill as a layperson from the outside... Uh, and here we are on the other side of that. So, you know, interesting. Did, how, can we pr- try to try to maybe even just, uh, just ponder, how did the, des- the, the, the dissolving of Mars Hill, the fact that it came apart, how, is it possible that has like inextricably changed the course of human history? Like, if you think about you know, the way that sometimes religions have developed into these superpowers, 
which then, you know, they're, they're steering the history, they have the ability to steer the history of humanity wherever their effect is, is going to be. Like, who knows? Maybe the fact that it came apart is, like, is was good. Like, it really, it could have prevented it growing into something that could then even wield more power mm-hmm. or more influence, mm-hmm. and who knows what direction it may have, how dark it could have gotten. I mean, that's just kind of... You know, just throwing bullshit around. Well, but, but I mean, but, but it's not bullshit it, because again, again, let's idea. come back to the fact yeah. that you know, and and without turning this into, you know, that being the agenda, it's like okay, Mars Hill was a big thing. We haven't even hardly scratched the surface yet. There's a lot to still uncover and and talk about, um, and we're talking about a church. That was founded by and run by and eventually sort of blown up by and ruined by a guy who is still a pastor, arguably in his prime, somewhere right in the country today, talking to people every day right now. And maybe that's the sermons that I'm listening to right now on uh, on podcast He's format is, yeah, stuff that came out, you know, all the way up until December of this year. That's now I don't know if these are canned old sermons or if this is, you know, his new ministry, but it's 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 presented anyway as just like uh, a woman's voice comes on at the beginning of each sermon. And she's like, on behalf of Mark Driscoll Ministries, we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to bring you, oh, you so know, these teachings. Yeah. And as Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus. You know, um, I really wanted to, and I kind of am tempted to. You know, depending on if you guys are interested in in fucking with it right now or not, or if that's for next visit, I kind of wanted to fucking literally put on a, a, a Mark Driscoll sermon and let you guys hear his voice if you haven't heard it for the longest time and hear you know my last part iPod. of you know not necessarily a whole <laughs> sermon, but uh, just to even you know. See what that even... Yeah, dude, what? Dude, what? Dude, I've been listening to a bunch of them. I've been listening to hours of this, tried. I tried to listen to some of his stuff. I mean, Um, man, I don't know. I had like a five-year anniversary, I think it was, from breaking, from renouncing my faith, and I tried. Dude, I can... Holy shit. I don't know. Just from stepping (laughs) stepping back... I don't know, man. Just from stepping back and just knowing... I don't know. Knowing things about myself as a human and like, you know... The way that the dark side of my my existence that I assume is there and kind of know is there and maybe have teased that and you know tried to explore a little bit because you're curious about kind of the darker side of who you are, you know. <laughs> but it's like sometimes then you you once you've gone through that yourself and then you look back at that dude, you get some vibes where you're like, man, this guy was he had stepped into some darker sides of, of who, who he was but was doing a really good job of covering it up in a way so not like, for nothing so in, and so we will I want to talk about some of that stuff because we haven't talked about the emails yeah. we haven't talked about the banishings we haven't talked about the fallouts <laughs> that happened inside the church we haven't talked about the cult of personality we haven't talked about the ask me anything sessions between with Driscoll and his wife and the congregation we haven't, uh, you know, weird stuff like that that happened towards the end of things, right? Wasn't that towards the end of the... I don't know if it was the, towards uh, the end, but I mean, it was around... You know, it was his book. Their own forum board had yeah. lockdown on, like, info. Well, it was nuts. Like, when people started speaking...
freaking out, and then nobody wanted to hear it. Well, or like administration didn't want to hear it. Okay, so so we haven't well, no, we haven't so, gotten we haven't so, we haven't gotten into any of that. But, but what I was gonna say, he, was, had, the, he had the book the the book that came out the real marriage book, and that was that went with what you were talking about as far as right. the I don't know exactly when that right because then he was like really trying to like get real with everybody with his life and their lives and what they were all about and how story with how story. yeah yeah. <laughs> Right, how you could be like them mm-hmm. and still be godly. Yeah. Right. So whatever that entailed. Yeah, that's that's yeah. So okay. Um. So, but I, what I was going to say was, uh, it's very. So, what is not a matter of uh, castigation of either of you guys or torturing either of you, and I won't do it right now. We're not going to do it right now. Cool. But <laughs> maybe what I'll ask you guys to do is consider checking out. I'll send you the link to the to the podcast that I found, which I believe is perhaps his modern ministry. Yeah, it's probably Arizona. Okay, so it might be interesting to hear, because what I hear, what I hear when I hear it right now, is a very bland version of a guy who probably was fierier earlier on, mm-hmm. um, but who still shows me a little bit of what might have been. You know the uh, Driscoll of, of yesteryear. Sure, um, but I don't know what you know the Mars Hill Driscoll was really like because I don't have those sermons at hand. Although there are a few of them out there on oh, yeah. on YouTube and stuff like that, so I've watched a couple of them. Um, I bet if you dig deep enough on those forums, like some nerd on there has like a cache of that on a hard drive. Well, there's 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 a couple of them out there on YouTube which are like him on rants in the sermons, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that were you know somewhat unflattering seeming, you know, and so the, this he is why really they're still on YouTube and have a lot of views. Like you know? I said, man, he was um, a performer. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So so what would be interesting would be to hear your guys' impressions. Uh, of hearing him again now in his modern, you know, maybe back, uh, back underground version or toned down version of himself. Right. Is he? Is he in? You know, first off, yeah, do we think that. this guy on balance? Sure. If we're if we're doing the balance sheet on Pastor Mark Driscoll, you know, as if we could sit in judgment of the man. I'm not saying presume to sit judgment on the guy. But uh, do we think on balance that he was fucking up, but is largely a, a, a person of faith and who is trying to do good work and, you know, maybe messed up Mars Hill irrevocably and therefore had to move on? Or is he a uh, somebody who is less forthright, less altruistic, and less to be admired, and somebody who, you know, we should continue to examine, and continue to wonder about, and yeah, hope that, th- that he doesn't develop, message, yeah, what's up, you know? yeah, you know, I don't know, I mean, I, I've taken a pretty hard stance against, like, I appreciate the Christian principles that I was taught in my upbringing, and uh, and in my discipline as a Sunday school teacher and, and missionary and whatnot, but at a certain point, like I kind of just say, "Fuck it!" Like this doesn't add up. I'm just seeing the same power structure problems, like people competing for what 
who's right, who's wrong kind of thing. And um, I mean, so do we? All right. So is there anything other than a um, giant cult of personality breakdown that occurred with Driscoll? Or was I, there some embezzlement money shit that was supposedly well, it was, part of it? Yeah. I mean, these mega churches take in shitloads of money. No, there was a there was a deal. And, so, and all the whales saying like, "Oh, we got to lay people off." There was a or, thing. There's a crisis. There was a, there okay. a thing. There was a couple of things. Okay. So there was the there was the book thing, where he bas- they basically paid a publishing company a large chunk of money to promote his book in a kind of the way they do where it's not really promoting but somehow it just shows up everywhere and people get exposed to it it's kind of like a low-key advertising but um yeah it gets your book up into the bestseller they have ways to like to do it um and so that money you know i think it was again we can we the details are there but i if i remember correctly that money was to be allocated for for something else it was i mean but that was tithe money i mean that was or fun, that was general fund money. Um, so that was the thing that really ultimately got. Okay, so that's crucial. So that's the really the thing that that was the they need that was the the actual uh, legislative not legislative, I mean like a, a legal issue. It's the actionable you need, you, sort it was of an actionable path that would have yes. led to like this whole thing is going to come apart. It, it, yeah. it moved away from just being in control of the system that they <laughs> were in control of. <laughs> You know, it moved away from 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 its typical operation into something that became dangerous, um, and it had to be mitigated, and and that's when when the the whole thing kind of came apart because there was nothing else they could really do. Um, he, he basically it would they'd gotten found out, and at that point your legitimacy has been completely compromised. And when you're on that big of a level, once once somebody finds out that you're kind of you're really not behaving in the way that you're trying to encourage people to behave. Yep. You're, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of screwed on that one, but somehow he's, he has managed to kind of weather it, um, back to, <laughs> back to another position where like a, like a swagger, people either don't know or don't care. And well, that's, that's kind of a broader question is do people know and do they still kind of just yeah, let, let them do it anyway, or just for maybe they forgive, maybe they're really good Christians and they just forgive him for it. I don't know uh, that he was tempted and, and you know, but that seems wishful thinking to me, I guess. I mean, I don't know. So that's a yeah, that's a broad one, man. Watch out, we might hear something, <laughs> might be another intro sound. So, what did you bring? Um, so, yeah, I'm, <laughs> gotta be honest, I'm really unsure of how this is actually gonna how me actually expressing how I really feel in this situation is really going to affect my relationship with my mom because I mean I, I, we've talked about this stuff to a certain degree but um, to hear me talk about it in candor is interesting because it's like I'm just listening to myself but um, yeah it's a my mom's writing a book on um, this whole thing this whole issue of Marcel because she was involved with it for, for 
a very long time. Um, she worked as a, a personal assistant for Mark Driscoll, um, amongst other uh, administrative positions inside the church. Uh, so, yeah, she kind of was uh, involved uh, with much of the inner workings of the church and, and had a, a huge social network, um, you know, great friends with, you know, fam, big families and, and just, um, yeah, really integrated into it um, as much as anybody. My brother uh, was in the church. He, he was a pastor um, uh, for a time at one of the satellite churches. So, uh, she's writing a book, and it's um, it's basically a kind of a whole description of what happened, and um, you know the how it kind of changed as it as it progressed, and what happened to it, um, and the systems that were in place or that were or that were put in place that ultimately led to. Um, a great deal of control held by a very small group of people. Um, and, and then, again, like what we just mentioned with the whole book, the whole Real Marriage book by Mark Driscoll, that was ultimately the um, the thing that kind of started to, to pull the house of cards down. But um, there's just a lot of, of details in the story that... Um, yeah, it's weird. It's hard to follow because the just the the nature of, of of some of it is it's disturbing, I guess. Uh, that's why people the people who have responded to it kind of there's a lot of people who take this very seriously. There's blogs all over the internet um w- with people who have been deeply and passionately affected by the outcome of of what happened. Um and it so It was serious. It is serious. Yeah, and and the, I mean it's like a it's a, this is a deep emotional scarring for people, I would say it would be the way I describe it. You know, they had, you'd, they had built their identity on on kind of what was happening, um, and then when it started to turn, a lot of people felt trapped because they, you know, part of, so much of their life was built on this. But at the same time, they really didn't like some of what was happening, and they could sense it. And but they didn't feel like they had any. There was there wasn't anything they could really do. They felt stuck in it because their so much of their life was dependent upon it that they didn't want to mess that. Like, how are they going to rebuild their life if that such a big part of it has now been been compromised? And so people were afraid that that was what was going to happen. Unfortunately, ultimately, it is what happened. Um, but that the fact that people were afraid of that happening is how the system just kind of kept kept going. Um, so that's, all of that is kind of tied up in this book. Um, so yeah, this is, this is, this is a summary to her publisher, uh, about what it is, uh, just kind of the basics of it. The, the title, the working title is, um, my mom's, uh, a Karen Schaefer. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, she she has, I mean, a whole, I mean, a lot of her life was built around ministry um, uh, and being involved in um, um, nonprofit organizations through her education. She did it professionally, but also um, just volunteering. Um, but she's always had 
like a deep spirituality um, that I have always sensed and felt to be authentic. Um, I, 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 I do not sense any degree of uh, inauthenticity in it. And I, I believe she knows that. I believe we've come to that understanding with each other, which is a really strange and interesting place to be in my development as a human to coexist with someone that I recognize as intelligent and cognizant and aware of the world around them in a deep way, um, yet has come to a completely different understanding of their reality than I have. And yet somehow we can be okay with it. And that's like really hard to do with someone that I respect and love. But at the same time, it's like, I have to, because I want to coexist with this person in some way. So that's a, that's kind of, for me, been the bigger part of this journey that even when I was moving away from the church, this was still the greater issue, I think. But, um, and that's kind of what a lot of people really struggled with, I think was that just in general, that kind of seeing that, that system come apart, they were just like, people were just, yeah, they were kind of torn up and broken in a way that, um, it really shows when you read the accounts of, of how it affected people. Um, yeah, it's almost like the loss of a, I mean, it's just a loss of a part of their identity that they had been kind of happy with you know really deep satisfaction of life quality having a deep sense of community and understanding of reality together um you know and i think that's and i wonder if sometimes that's just enough if that's the the you know even if somebody's aware of it if that's enough because it just makes their path through life easier and more manageable not in a sense of trying to be easy just in like that every it's always hard and anything you can do to make it a little bit easier, it's worth it, I think, a lot of times. It just, and you have to decide whether or not it's worth it. And that's, that's kind of the, I don't know, that's the way that I've experienced it, I suppose. So, um... <clears throat> Sorry if that was too long. Not at all. There's no such thing as too long on this. Um, <laughs> and I don't want you to, um even start, you know, pulling anything out of um, these notes that you have in your lap yeah. right now, yet, um, because uh, I want to give your mom the opportunity for both of you guys to continue to chat about the way in which you'd like to, you know, mine okay. these notes and then reflect on them, because it could very well be that you just want to read them and us talk about them, we share them and talk about them, and then reflect upon them, and, and that's how we get what we get out of them onto the microphone, as opposed to taking any of what she's written directly and, and reading it right now tonight, anyway, yeah. at all. Be um, hard to summarize. Well, I yeah, I need I need to go over some of this. She's trying to use this. This is part of her book. This is her creation right now. I got all her clamp, man. I I remember your mom as a teacher at the church. And that's neat. So you guys (laughs) knew one another at that time as well. Yeah, his his folks are as good as mine, like aunts and uncles. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, and so it's. 
I do. I, yeah, I mean, I feel like, I don't feel like I've said too much, but you know, I should probably, I should probably check in with her a little bit. No, exactly. Um, so that's, that's why there's no rush on this. Yeah. What's cool is she already put this in your hands. Yeah. So we're on our way. I just need you know? to, I just need to double yep. check that yep. she's cool. Well, or if she has any limitations as far as how much of this she wants me to go into. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, that should be fine. Um, but I mean, it is, I mean, this information is out there. This is the outlines in her book. And so, you know, for me, when I read this, it's like, well, this is what she's intending to say when she publishes this book. So I don't really feel like I should have to question whether or not this is authentically how she feels. Um, you know, I think that the striking difference between my analysis of the situation and hers is the difference in our spirituality and the difference in our view of spirituality. And that um, I see it as an example of the nature of man, maybe in a certain way, um, but not in the way of that it's just this one bad guy and the system is good. I tend to think it's like, no, I think it's the system <laughs> that itself creates the corruption. The system is the, it creates the, guys like this guy. It creates a, a an it's a vac it's a it's a it's a it's a vacuum it's a power it's essentially a power and emotional vacuum where there's all these people because I think just the nature of of humanity over I mean for since religion has started to develop is just a deep understanding of feeling like you know there's people have a desire to connect I think on a very high spiritual level, especially with, with other people around them to feel understood and acknowledged, um, that your understanding of reality is the understanding of reality. And when you have other people around you who, who can agree and, and yes. And I, I believe that we share the same, same understanding of our existence. It builds this, this desire for more and more people to be like, Oh really? Fucking then yeah, dude, let's go there. And it just creates this energy um, that, it I don't know, it's just somehow, I don't know if it's containable, if it's an authentic energy, if you can really contain it, and then it just builds to a point where if the system means you got to have one guy driving, it's going to be really hard to find a dude to put in that position who can be legit and clean and on the narrow. I think it's just... It's like a president or uh, any high-ranking politician. I think you give somebody the opportunity to abuse a system, and it's really hard for a lot of people to say no. And truly, it's governmental. I mean, you look at it the way it operates. Uh, <laughs> well, a couple times tonight, you guys referred to it identically with government. Yeah, it had a... And I think we'd all yeah. agree. Yeah. That it could resemble it greatly. I mean, nations have been built around religion. Some obviously. of the most honest Christians I know were carpenters too. You know, they tried to be like their guy, and so they had two jobs. But like their missions, rarely were bigger than their own households. It was just like, yeah, I have a Bible study. And those are kind of more real to me as far as like, yeah, those are your pastor pastors, like grassroots pastors. Uh, Usually, sometimes those all get together. And in this case, it seemed like an awful lot of non-denominational type pastors were getting on board with, you know, the structure, the government that Mars Hill kind of did with, like he said, the uh, it's just the presentation alone. 
for that mission field. It's like, you want to appeal to yuppie new Seattleites? Then this is how you do it. It was like a fucking formula for a rock show. Can I ask you guys both, uh, total aside, do either of you know, does the independent Bible study, like, is that still a thing? Is that a thing? Do people do that? I mean, I think a lot of times it's connected through a church, simply because that's the, the that's the hub. That's the hub where you connect with other people, and then you create your own community groups where people live in a similar area or whatever. You someone volunteers their home, um, and the church gives you. Well, this is what you're, you know, this is what you, you should be reading on, in your, you know. So then the church is still sort of guiding a curriculum or a doc, you know, a doctrine. They give. Mm-hmm. They would give suggestions, yeah. yeah. They and I don't. I mean, you, you know, people. I'm Obviously, sure there. I'm, I'm sure, sure there are people. I, yeah, I'm sure there were people who had their own independent, like several group people from from Mars Hill would probably. Sounds like such a yeah. great thing for a moment. I sure, like, man. Yeah. That'd be great. No, they call it home group, and it's yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. People get together and do Bible no, studies. It was dope. It was it was like church in the middle of the week, except in somebody's living room. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the Bring place the where you could ask some questions really yeah questions you could actually debate with people there yeah exactly um, like, I have so, questions you know so uh, to listen to both of you guys talk you know we won't go too much longer tonight here we'll wrap it up here. I see this guy rubbing his legs he won't be this just part of the gig mm-hmm. right. um, but uh, you know it, it to hear your guys' voices, both of you, um, being the expert uh, armchair voice analyst that I am, uh, I would say that if I closed my eyes and were to say this person who I'm hearing talk, it's hard to tell if they, um, you know, no longer believe in... God and Jesus and Christianity, you know, or or not. Like, you know, a couple times we've said terms like agnostic tonight. Um, I don't necessarily believe that asserting something like that is also asserting somehow that for example, Jesus didn't exist and or the Jesus, you know, myth and tradition, the Christian tradition isn't uh, valid or based in some truth, per se. Agnostic, obviously, definition would be to purport to only understand that we cannot understand everything, that we cannot know everything that we cannot prove the existence or non-existence of a creator god. Mm. Uh, so, or by my own authority. You know, I, I would say... I've collected says, I don't know. There you go. Basically, I did, I looked that one I've up, tried. you know, and I'm glad <laughs> yeah, you know the definition know. of a cult. So, you know, I've got this... It's uh, basically in, in, the, in the absence of evidence, you have to admit that it could... It could be either, right? 
And so I'm, I basically say, if, because I, I still always want to leave the door open, because, you know, you just, the... Well, one way of defining so, it is don't believe strongly one way or the other. Correct. Say. You don't adhere to one Don't or believe the other. in belief, basically. Correct. You don't adhere to one yeah. or the other to because the exclusion of the other. Because if you believe in any one thing exclusively, you immediately preclude yourself from believing its opposite. Yet... At a certain point in your life, because you don't know all the points in your life that you're going to go through, you may encounter something that completely convinces you of the opposite of your belief. If you don't understand that concept, I think you're missing the point of being a human. In that, if, if, you, um, if you connect yourself to something completely 100%, then what happens if you're ever confronted with evidence that, that legitimately refutes that thing? How are you going to deal with that complete like severing of your reality? At least that's how I view it. Maybe that's just a, a fear aversion as far as my upbringing and the way I see the world. But like, how could you ever possibly recover from having everything that was built upon just completely pulled out from underneath you uh, at a certain point in your life? And it just, and maybe, I don't know, that's just the thing that I've always looked at. But I got to give a big mm -hmm. shout out to Nicholas No for giving me the WWF theology versus science throwdown back when I was a concierge uh, doing the third shift, so midnight to 8 a.m. This guy had nothing better than to do. Like, I don't know if he had insomnia or what his deal was, but he'd come down and debate with me. And this is back in my Bible college days, so I've got the fucking Tommy Chainsaw New American Standard out memorizing things. Like, it was like fucking homework, you know? Um, but then he'd come down and we would get into it and the, like, just theory relatively, like, stuff like that where it's just like, okay, dead stop. If we really understand what this is, then how is it you un you believe these things happened in this book mm -hmm. that has been revised mm -hmm. and all that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, big shout out to My Nicholas stuff, no. stuff I love to ask. But he was, like, he's a champion to me because, like, it, it really helped me break out of the mold. Like, I'm in the middle of college trying to do homework with this holy scripture, with the history books, like, all the commentaries. Like, everybody's got an opinion about Nicholas this Nicholas was just some co-worker of yours at, at No, no, no. He, he was my client. He lived there at the condo. Hmm. So as a concierge, I'm just at the front desk. Hmm. But at 3 o'clock in the morning, he wants to talk hard science and, and theology. Crap. It was pretty... So it was a captive audience. <laughs> but it's like, well, I'm getting paid to do my homework, and here we go with debate practice. Wow. And But no, I really have to hand it to him that like at a certain point, that really helped change my trajectory of belief, faith, if you will, was that things with Mars Hill weren't working out. This guy's debating things. It's just all the questions start to add up. It's like... Well, now I need to solve it and figure it out, and you just break away from these things. I wonder if Nicholas No is still holding somebody hostage overnight right now <laughs> in that condo. He'd laugh. And philosophizing at him <laughs> behind the counter, behind the desk. I'd have to catch up. I might actually check in with that building. Uh -huh. I'd have to ask the old right. man concierge that's probably still there, uh, day shift guy. I guess to, to, to answer your question, though, the... the yeah, I still kind of, I don't know. I wouldn't say that my, I'm just open to it. And the the older I get and the more, um, you know, I, I 
I, I had a hard year this year. I went through a, a breakup um, where I was in a similar almost way that I felt like I was attached to to my religion. I was attached to a person and um, in a in an unhealthy way that was my own my own fault. Um, and it it kind of I guess I'm it, the more I move towards compassion and trying to like open up to positivity, the more I start to believe that, you know, maybe there is some broader spiritual connection that, that does tie everybody together, that it's not just, you know, and so that's why I just, I, I have, I, I, the, the agnostic term has to apply because it just, um, part of me, it's almost like 50, 50 in a way. It's like I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost in a, in a point of like, just right in that hovering zone of like, you just kind of, it's always, it's just always fluttering somewhere in the middle, man. It's, I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe because like my rational mind is like, no, of course not. But then it's like, but you feel something sometimes that you just can't really explain. And I don't know. So Douglas, what did you come down on the side of? As far as what, how is that? I guess I'm asking you, are you a believer? More atheist or more oh, agnostic? Oh, yeah, or yeah. Are we going testimonial? I know, right? I don't mean to do that exactly. No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty open with my mind's ongoing. I don't know. That's kind of, um, yeah. I, as far as, you know, I've grown more cynical the more philosophy I read. Um, and the more just proof, man, just history, the older I get. The, what I, when I read history, I'm not impressed with humanity and and in any of the religions ideas of how we're to be sanctified or redeemed or whatever it is but it's also you know it's just basic principles of society like people want to be treated at least as best as they want to be treated most of us <laughs> and so it, you know depending on I don't know I sorry. Follow that one. sorry yeah <laughs> but yeah no it's okay it's okay stumbling but anyways, do I believe? Don't I, don't I believe? I'm not afraid of a holy and righteous God. I, I think that He would judge me. I'm not afraid of Him. <laughs> it, yeah. uh, it's more a matter of like, is it? You know, you're expecting me to understand all this and then think that blood sacrifices and all this other stuff that's happened and, and the history that we've all had to put up with that that's the point. Like, I'm not afraid of the afterlife. I have more uh, of the void. I think that you're just energy, like you disperse when you're done. <laughs> yeah, so you know word. that's a that's a fair enough answer to a fairly unfair, you know. Question. <laughs> well, not, it really is because like, it's not, you know, yeah. Sorry, like I guess no. that's the Calvinistic tone for me. Like, no, like you really have to, to have like to, a predetermined like this yeah. is what you believe or this is what you don't believe. I asked that question by accident and not meaning to right, have right. gone totally there because we're and, not here together as a group to like label any of ourselves and least no, of all for I'm me learning to sit here is what and I ask mean you to guys say. to label yourselves either. I, no worries. Um, I use the agnostic camouflage though. Like I try to get along with my faithful parents and my okay, faithful okay. family. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, they a, believe so that, wholeheartedly, so when, and I'm not going to talk about question agnostic that. camouflage. Yeah. That sounds like an atheistic <laughs> guy who's like, yeah, you know, whatever. I'm agnostic because fucking Jesus. No, we mom yeah. and dad will shut up. You know, you know, uh, and so no. 
But yeah. it's a matter of being honest too. Like when I debate with them, they they understand I'm a, I'm a hedonist now. I like pretty much I'm doing what I have to do to get along with all the rest of the human race and move on. It may seem a little hippy dippy green to them, but it still has a lot of like dad likes to joke. He's like, "Oh, where'd that come from?" Because it's like a basic tenet, like Jesus said it kind of a thing, like do unto others, golden rule. And I'm like. Like, yeah, whatever, Dad. Like, that's been in every tribe everywhere. So, you know, with no qualification whatsoever and not having heard explicitly from either of you guys uh, anything to assert this, I somehow have assumed that regardless of any labels, everybody in this uh, conversation is still nevertheless uh, a philosopher and a, uh, a person who is almost probably at least wouldn't be mad at anybody characterizing them as still being um, somewhat spiritual, uh, you know, if that's, uh, you know, a fair label. Uh, I, I only mean that in the same way I, that I say the word philosopher, like that you guys are reflective, introspective, and communicative about this puzzle that is the life that we're experiencing together. Um, we're having an opportunity to talk about something that you guys have a great and unique perspective on that I'm deeply interested in learning about. There's some things that I haven't remotely touched on yet that I haven't told you guys about. It's part of why I'm as interested in Mars Hill as I am. And you might be like, well, that's neat that you are interested in that for that reason, but no real connection, and I don't see the parallel there, Steve. Um, you know, and we can we can get into it for it next time. Um, but where I'm going with this is, uh, one of the things that I found interesting about some of the stuff you guys said earlier tonight was it reminded me of a little self-improvement like retreat that I went to a few years back here in the local area uh, that had every indication of wanting to turn into ongoing classes and, uh, and hmm. philosophy kind of school and that was the Landmark Forum have either of you ever heard of yeah. the Landmark Forum? what is the forum? who Mm-hmm. Okay, I've so, heard of it. Okay, I, I'm so trying to remember good, where it's from. Actually, okay, interesting. So I'll send you guys a little bit of information about the Landmark Forum, and I'll try to point you at some resources. I might even be able to find some YouTube stuff. There's, you're not gonna, we're not gonna find a lot of videos on it or anything. Um, but it's an interesting, seemingly secular organization that is like, you know, go for the weekend and learn self-improvement techniques and, you know, methods and techniques. Yeah, I'm so skeptical. And you really no, no, get no there, days. and it's like a big weekend psychology workshop, mindfuck thing. So you following know, the money, who's in charge, I guess? Well, is, so there's an like, interesting, what's the, really interesting organization that reaches back to the late 60s, early 70s, where okay. it was founded. Uh, um, the Landmark Forum. Yeah. I've heard of it. And, and they're active Sounds up very here familiar. in the Northwest. They do 
lots of these little retreats and stuff. So is it? Does it have a? Subcon- does it have a subconscious religious undertone? Yeah, that they're trying to like create like a, an openness or it's mostly more like new agey okay and psychology e tony robbins uh, yeah, yeah. kind of thing but mm-hmm. uh <laughs> i'm okay with tony sometimes right right but i think i'm like, so old school i like think am christian radio listening to um what's his name ravi zacharias this Indian preacher, he could talk. Like, it was funny, like that, and then there was this other Scottish guy, same thing. It was like AM radio sermons, and that was kind of maybe one of the things that appealed about Mark. It was like he just had stage presence, storyteller kind of thing, but they were still going after fundamental Christianity, which for my right leaning at the time uh, made perfect sense. So, yeah, I I wonder, like, that, like you said, like, the Tony Robbins, that stuff's going on now, like, different... Landmark Forum's interesting. It's not a church. Got it. It's not, it's a not to be confused with a church, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But, but, it's really kind of culty. Hmm. Uh, and it's really got some interesting, you know... The hooks. ...mythos around it. Yeah. Okay. So, you guys would both be interested to check hmm. into it and see about it. <laughs> I ended up there because somebody, uh, my father-in-law, got a Groupon or some shit for it, and he wanted to go himself. And again, like totally straight up, just thought it sounded like great weekend, you know. Right. They, but those are that's just are classic religion, though. Know, like I almost got so, into. So what I'm saying is what's so interesting about yeah. it is it's, it, in every way they will swear up one side and down the other that they're 100% secular. <laughs> and it's funny. Yeah. You it's get like in the there YMCA. and you're like, whoa. Yeah. What's going on? Where's the Kool-Aid? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, no. It's, there is Kool-Aid getting oh, passed man. around, you know, and it's coming from the person at the mic at the front of the room. So it's interesting shit. So, that is. So, so, but, so that's, you know, part of what the reason why I started the conversation with you guys is because I want to, you know, not paint Mars Hill as anything like Landmark Forum or any of these other uh, religions that we talked about earlier tonight. But um, there's something really fascinating about the... We, we still haven't got into remotely any of the specifics of the fucking story of Mars Hill. So we're talking about the, the second layer, which is the question of religion, period, of what religion is like for all of us today in 21st century America, North America, the Western world, you know, do we, does religion work anymore or not? Is religion something we want or need? Is religion the same as spirituality? Uh, now you you're know, bringing up the atheist person, in me. No, yeah, so, you know, these are foundational engage, questions to answer. How does a person engage with yeah. those parts of themselves and their consciousness and their soul, or their you know, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 be a person of science and be a person, you know, of reason? Um, how does one live through and go through the experiences that you guys have gone through? How does one go through the upbringing that I went through? 
and the disillusionment that I eventually came to with my, uh, you know, church leaders who were unable to answer my questions, um, and and then and then yet now as a father of a young family, I can still miss the church community and miss the prospect of salvation that was you know offered by the belief aspect like okay be the good parishioner who actually does fucking take Jesus into his heart and uh, you know look to the church for my salvation look to my faith for my salvation um, you know do I do, do I you know do I ever want to be that person again who wants to put that all back in to this you know Creator, uh, this this uh, you know omnipotent God, the the very you know the very you know person being being uh, you know who all these organizations all around the world are dedicated to. You know the whole world seems to run on this stuff, either overtly or covertly. Um, and so yeah, you know. It's, Question uh, is why? Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard one, man. Why? So, what I'd like to do, you guys, is, you know, let us wrap it up. Let sure. you guys wrap it up. Yeah. Let him rest and relax for the night. Cool. I know that I'm going to be able to raise the volume on sections of this here and there. Pull out a few minutes here and there of some great uh, snippets of the conversation from tonight, which will be spontaneous conversation and the beginnings of the exploration into this. We need to understand how much we're going to mine these notes and these resources that you got from mom. Um, I am going to read the blogs and the resources that we've already been looking at on my side. As soon as you get the green light from her to let me at least read these materials, then send them right over to me. That would be wonderful. I'd love to read them. What I plan to do is do an episode as planned. It'll, I'll call it the Mars Hill episode one, but I'll basically do most of me sitting talking about the full Mars Hill timeline as I understand it from internet searching. This is this is Steve understanding Mars Hill from start to finish, you know, as an outsider. And then I'm going to probably roll, having written that and read the timeline and understood it all, remember a couple things that were said tonight. We didn't get specific at all, which is good because I'll be able to grab anything I want from tonight that just has some feeling behind it and use a few minutes of that um, audio to let people hear you guys' voices, let people understand that we're sitting in the room together talking about this and that we're going to go deeper next time. And what I hope to do next time is have you guys come back, sit right back down here. I'll work on my mic setup a little bit more, see if I can improve that slightly to make it you know, maybe get the third mic involved. I do know I can do it on the next channel here. I think I can get one more mic even on this mixer. Um, and, uh, you know, get one in front of each of you so that I can get good audio on both of you. And then ask a few questions, pointed questions, having read the timeline and having maybe read these materials and us having definitely talk about this fucking shit right here you know yeah. that that is on this you know third staple fucking pack 
post up from all. Yep. Um, Douglas, you had a couple paragraphs of notes there. And, well, yeah. and it looks like a lot of bebop, Jim Jam, just me rambling. Good, while... so we'll go back and look at it again. No, it was it was good stuff. The um, thing, the, one of the things that... I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to press stop on the record.